A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Hi, welcome to Deep Into Sleep. This is Ishan. First, I want to say Happy New Year to you all. This is gonna be our first episode for this year, 2020. And for this week and next week, we have two sleep doctors gonna talk about sleep among children and teens. School gonna start around this time, so I really hope this episode will be able to help those who are struggling with some symptoms of insomnia or circadian rhythm disorder or different type of sleep difficulties. So today we have Dr. Daniel Erickson from Oregon. He is a sleep physician and also the founder of an insomnia app called Bedtime with a Y. He will offer some great insights to help children and teens to sleep better. Hi, Dr. Erickson. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jean. So, if I understand correctly, you are a sleep physician working in the primary care settings. Can you please explain to us what do you do day to day? Absolutely. So. My my core specialty is actually pediatrics. That that was what, where I started, and then、uh, I eventually ended up doing a fellowship in sleep medicine. So what I do now on a day to day is I work in a pretty traditional sleep center where I take care of patients with sleep disorders. I'd say probably seventy percent is obstructive sleep apnea, and maybe twenty percent or so insomnia. But that part of it, the insomnia part. Has really become my my passion and my my focus of interest. Do you see more adults or more children now? Oh, in, in general, I would say probably again like about eighty percent of my patients are adults, and then maybe twenty percent are children. And when actually both sleep apnea and insomnia are fairly common in both adults and children. When I say children, though, when it comes to the insomnia part of it, I want to say that when 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 kids are like less than you know ten. It's almost, you know, I have to educate the parents more. The, the children usually don't really have any sleep, like insomnia. But when it comes to, you know, like at preteen and teen, then insomnia is very similar to that of adults. I want to say that's very interesting. Yeah, I can imagine for younger children, parents' behavior possibly play a big role in their sleep habits. Absolutely, it's very interesting actually because. As you know, a lot of people with with insomnia tend to kind of underestimate how much they sleep. They tend to spend a lot of time in bed. They kind of try to they try to sleep a lot. And with with younger children, when you have a three or four year old, it's it's like the parents are doing that. Meaning, the parents are expecting them to sleep, you know, eleven hours when they only need nine. The parents are putting them to bed too early. The, the parents are trying to make them sleep. So really, the work is all about educating the parents. In that case, the the, the kids themselves don't really have any problem, which is kind of interesting. That makes a lot of sense. So if a younger child has sleep difficulties, we may want to educate the parents first. Absolutely, and you know, you know what's really interesting, Ishan, is is、mm-hmm. you hear so much about these、um, 
uh, you know, pediatric sleep coaches out there. And I, I still to this day don't know exactly what they do. But, <laughs> but as you know, um, CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is really effective for insomnia. So what I've done in my practice is I've kind of used CBT for parents of children. And, and guess what? I've seen these like toddlers, like three-year-olds, and I basically use CBT to educate the parents and they come back and see me and they're like, this is working well. He's sleeping really good. So I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know that there's much literature on this, but my experience has been that it, it works really well, actually. Wow, that's great to know. Yes, I don't think I saw too many literatures on that either. Maybe you can collect some clinical data and eventually come up with something. I think people need to know that it works for parents too. I mean, as you know, even for adults, I'm sure you've seen this too with adults is that there's so many people out there with trouble sleeping, but virtually nobody hears about CBTI. Uh, it's just like this unknown treatment, which is so sad because it's so effective. But imagine in the pediatric world, it's even, there's even less meaning there's the only thing that parents hear about is basically melatonin and like sleep hygiene. Like there's really very, very little helpful information out there for, for parents that have kids with uh, trouble sleeping. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, I did not, after years of training psychology, after getting my PhD, I actually never heard about CBT for insomnia. I learned about CBT for other mental disorders, but it was new to me to learn CBT for insomnia. And in China, basically no one knew about that until recently. And I'm surprised even here, sleep medicine developed here for, for 50 years and still it's, it's so not well known. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I hear this story all the time. Like I thought it was first, I thought it was just in medicine, not in like medicine we don't know about we don't talk about insomnia we don't know about cbti but i hear the same thing psychologists even like cbt therapists right. uh, it's just like cbti is just it's 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 bizarre because it's so effective yet like nobody's heard of it right what made you decide to choose a uh, sleep medicine as your training <laughs> right that. Uh, no that's a, that's a good question and and here's the a completely honest story, which is I, um, I, I was always interested in, you know, I always loved kids. So I thought I would, I would be a pediatrician. So I went into training and I, I had this idea that I was going to become a pediatric intensivist or maybe a hematologist doing something quite involved uh, 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 as a field, you know. But then what something happened in my second year of training. I think I was one of those, like I was on call. I had done a couple of nights and it was like 3 a.m. And I had four beeper calls and I was like, this is not for me. I cannot do this. I just realized that I needed a more kind of lifestyle friendly specialty, but I knew I wanted to do a specialty. And then I was grabbing a beer with a friend. I was in, I was doing my residence in the Bronx, New York, and we were somewhere in Manhattan. And he said, he said, he just mentioned in passing, he said, do you know, Daniel, there's a, there's a fellowship in sleep medicine. And that got me so curious. I was like, really, can you specialize in sleep? Mm -hmm. And then I started reading up on it. And I realized I, I was always very curious about, you know, higher functions of the brain. I, I was really curious about like, what is the function of sleep? Why will we, why do we sleep? Like almost as a, 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 just like core academic level, I was really curious about it. So I decided to apply I applied all over the place and uh, I got accepted at the University of Chicago. I was super happy with that. It's a really great place. 
and and then I did my sleep fellowship. So that is uh, so it was really kind of a lifestyle plus curiosity decision that led me into sleep. Right, and all came from uh, originally start with a beer and chat, and then go into this lifestyle, whatever is easy for patients possibly to accept. Well, sleep is is harmless to talk about, and so many people do need to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, at least in psychology, I know when we treat mental disorders, sleep is a very good way. To start the conversation or start with the treatment, people will lower down their guard, their stigma, and they are willing to treat their sleep if they are not ready for other things yet. That's an interesting point. I never thought of it that way. But、uh, just a quick comment on that is like when when I go to a kind of a dinner party or a social event,、uh, almost always there is somebody there who wants to talk to me about their sleep. So definitely, there's there's no stigma, as you said. There's everybody's willing to talk about it. Right, right. Surprisingly, right. People are more open about their sleep problems, their sleep struggles. But if they're anxious, they they have other things they they may not want to really admit that or face it yet. Absolutely. You mentioned for children younger than ten years old, parents is part of the picture. So how about for teenagers? I definitely see a lot of teenagers struggling with sleep difficulties, and I'm curious what what you how you help them. Yeah, you know th- th- that's a really interesting group because you have this spectrum of like the younger teenager, where you、uh, almost educate the parent more, and then you have the kind of like older teenager, where it's like almost all about the the teenager, and then kind of a, a every and anything in between. But、uh, what I find typically when it comes to insomnia is that oftentimes it is very it's similar to adults. I feel it's. You know, the anxiety is maybe not so much about work; it's more about school,、uh, school performance, and like、uh, you know, transitional things that are happening,、uh, causing anxiety that then spills over, and, and then you know, insomnia develops. Now, a couple of interesting things, specifically, I find working with with teenagers is that、um, oftentimes, as you know, you 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 tell patients that you know you have trouble sleeping, you should probably actually spend less time in bed. So You might want to actually go to bed later, and that's so fun when I see teenagers because often the teenagers look so happy. They're like looking at the parents, like, "Yeah, I told you so." See, and then on the flip side of that, you have like when I tell、uh, you know these teenagers, like, you know, it's important to have a kind of a fixed wake up time to get up pretty much the same time every morning, so you can't sleep in until till noon. You have to get up at seven, and then the parent is like, "I told you so. I told you so." You know, and the teenagers like, "Oh, what?" But, but that's kind of an interesting observation. But my general my general thought is that yeah, it's、uh, it's kind of that interesting thing is the range between educating the parent, the teenager, or both. Right. Sounds like you have them both in your office and providing this this great information and education to them. Yeah, that's right. I, I always see both uh, uh, both the parent and the and the teenager. Yeah. Regarding teenager, one thing I often struggle with is this. Difference between sleep deprivation and insomnia. So a lot of teenagers they can be very sleepy, but they are up late, mostly not because they are homework, because of social media and other things.、Um, then they will struggle with some functional difficulties or sleep、uh, disturbance. Do you have any ways to educate them about that? You know that's. <laughs> So、that's a very good question, and I, 
I find myself uh, a little bit, uh, to be honest with you, I find myself a little bit of a kind of an outlier in the sleep, in the sleep community because I, I don't find too much that to be a problem. I, I, I almost uh, feel like, uh, though, you know, the, the teenagers or the adults that are like voluntarily sleep restricting themselves, the people that are like staying up really late to play video games or to hang out with their friends and things like that, they, I tend to find that they, they kind of know what the problem is. It's, it's generally speaking not a surprise to them when I say, hey, well, you know, if you're going to play video games till, till midnight and you, get, you have to get up at six, then guess what? You're not getting enough, enough sleep. And they kind of know that. So I don't find typically that that's a big um, kind of conflict or a big, um, uh, that, it's, that it's difficult to explain that. Mostly they know it. And then when I just kind of uh, reinforce that, that, you know, you, you, you know, you, you know what you're doing wrong. You should get to, to bed earlier than most of them kind of know it. And either, either they, they accept it and say, yeah, you're right. I, sh- I should be changing my habits in which case it's kind of straightforward. They do that or they are like, yeah, but I, they don't want to change. And then it's kind of hope it's kind of like, it's hard. You can't, you can't really make people change their habits if they, if they're not invested in that, if they're not interested in that. That's kind of what I find. Right, right. I I agree. I definitely noticed some teens they they are aware that they are not sleeping enough. I do. I I saw teens who only slept like three or four hours for most nights if they had something coming up, and they they are they are really tired, but they are not willing to to make any changes. They are just not able to. Um, it's hard to see them struggle, but. Sometimes I'm also very stuck to to give suggestions and to help them know the consequences, but there's not much I can do to really help them to make the change. They still have to have the motivation to do it themselves. Yeah. That's, at the end of the day, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Well, how how much a role a parent can play to help teens regulate, you know, their sleep time? Oh, that's that's a really good question. I think. I think actually a, a, a quite a bit. The interesting thing there is like for most of the teens I see, which again is like the ones that are kind of struggling to sleep, the insomnias more than sleep deprivation, I want to say, I find that the parents have a very important role, but mostly actually to oftentimes to actually step back a little bit. Meaning uh, the, what I always hear is that the parent is like telling their, uh, their kid that's kind of struggling with insomnia to get off the phone, you know, get off the, get off the iPad, make sure it's dark, get into bed early, don't engage in anything, anything that's stimulating. And, and then, and that actually very rarely helps because this kid actually wants to sleep. They're just struggling. And when, when you put them in that kind of like dark room where it's boring and they're left to their own thoughts and their own anxieties, that typically makes things work. So worse. So I, I often find myself telling, telling parents that, you know what? it's probably better if you let them stay up a little later. It's okay if they're engaging in, in, in using a screen or a phone as long as, uh, you know, not, not, the, not something that's super engaging, like some very violent video game, you know, stay away from that. But I often find myself uh, telling parents to step back a little bit, kind of like let them enjoy that time before they go to bed. That takes away, that distracts from their anxiety and worries. And uh, so... In, in that way, I think parents have a big role because I think oftentimes the parents are kind of that pressure, the pressure that kind of worsens the insomnia very, very, very often. 
Oh, that's very interesting. That's a very good point. That how parents, possibly their own anxiety, how they view their、um, children's, their teens' behaviors, and they worry about their their teens' sleep quality. So they would interfere possibly too much and increase the teens' anxiety as a as a result. Exactly. I mean, it comes from a good place. It's like the parent really wants their kid to sleep well and get enough sleep so they can do well in school. But then, as you know, often the things that you hear about,、uh, uh, you know, the the a lot of this kind of sleep hygiene that that is also well meaning, but kind of backfires because it in a way just produces more pressure. Yes, definitely. Since you are talking about sleep hygiene, do you want to explain a little bit what sleep hygiene is, just in case some audience never heard about it? Right, right, absolutely. And and for those、uh, tuning in here,、um, you may not. And, and when I say sleep hygiene, you may not really know what that is, but I'm sure you've heard、uh, a lot about it. Not worded as sleep hygiene, but I'm sure you're going to recognize a lot of things I'm going to mention here. And those are things like.、Um, Make sure your bedroom is dark. Make sure it's cool. Make sure the temperature is not set too high.、Uh, make sure、um, you're avoiding screen time before you go to bed. Make sure you don't eat too much before you go to bed. Make sure you don't do anything strenuous exercise before you get it. It's sleep hygiene is kind of a constellation of kind of rules recommendations that are meant to to make you sleep better. So that、uh, that is kind of sleep hygiene in a nutshell. Ah,、oh, I see. So really, do a lot of things to manage the sleep environment and certain, like a little bit related to sleep habits, to really help us. It aim to help us sleep better. Exactly, and and so the aim there, and I think whoever kind of created this uh, uh, had had a good intention of like making people sleep better, but. Oftentimes, what happens is the following: that you have somebody that's like already kind of struggling to sleep. They're probably going to bed a bit too early. They're they're producing a lot of pressure on themselves to try to sleep, etc. And then they get this kind of idea that okay, I have to do something. So I'm going to make sure my temperature in my room is 68 degrees. And then they do that, and then it's like, oh, I'm still not sleeping better. Wow, something must be really wrong with me. Now I'm going to use a sleep mask. Oh, that didn't help either. Oh wow! Now I have to stop eating before I go to bed. That didn't help either, and then it creates like more anxiety, more pressure. So I think sleep hygiene, in my opinion, I've come to believe, generally speaking, does more harm than good. It, it creates this belief that sleep is very complicated and complex, and you have to get all these little check marks and do all get all the rules and regulations right to be able to sleep, and that produces so much sleep anxiety. I've come to believe. Yes, yes, I agree. I think I definitely see for certain type of population or、um, for people who really have severe insomnia, sleep hygiene possibly do more harm than help. Because、uh, I definitely see the same thing as you see. A lot of people come in and say, "I'm doing all the thing right, right? I checked all the marks. It does not work. Then I'm stuck. What else should I do?" So it's really these strategies. I think. Uh, train them to try to control their sleep,、exactly. and yeah, after controlling so much, they still cannot fall asleep. Then they either go to sleep medications,、uh, even sleep medications does not work. Then they really desperate, and even I see some people more depressed, even start having、uh, very difficult thoughts. 
are very unhappy and sad just all because they have poor sleep. Absolutely, I agree one thousand percent with everything you said. And、uh, just as a kind of like a little comment there, you mentioned earlier here that、um, you know you treat people with depression, anxiety, and sleep is is you know a big component of all of this. And it's interesting how more and more studies I feel are coming out saying that if you actually just use cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, if you treat the insomnia, depression, anxiety often gets better. Yes. Yes, I definitely heard about that. I think that's great information for people to know that they are so closely related, and sleep could be treated first. And they can sleep,、uh, insomnia, and、uh, depression, anxiety, or other mental disorders. They can be treated separately, but they definitely help each other, especially the sleep component. Yeah. Yeah. Since you treat teens. Childrens, and you mentioned earlier, a lot of parents don't know about CBTI, but they know about melatonin. I I totally agree. I see so many parents often ask me about melatonin. So I want to ask you, what's your opinion of、uh, how melatonin help children or teens to sleep? Oh yeah, that, that's a good question. And okay, one thing that's really interesting with melatonin is that it is. Extremely commonly used in children, yet if you look at literature, there's like nothing there.、Uh, there's like there are a few kind of smaller studies which have looked at like、uh, you know melatonin versus not taking melatonin in kids with uh, uh, some some special needs like ADHD, I think autism as well, and and those kind of small studies have suggested that it may be helpful, but there's really not any. Any solid evidence out there, which is kind of interesting. So, so that leaves us then with kind of like、um, opinion and experience, which of course I'm very very happy to talk about. So, my thoughts on this are the following: that it's it's really I I, I consider melatonin、uh, kind of in the same、um, I, I approach it the same way I think about really medications and other supplements. Meaning, if somebody starts believing That anything from the outside produces sleep, then it is a slippery slope. Meaning, if you have a kid that's kind of you know、uh, uh, is like a poor sleeper, parents often express it like that. They kind of toss and turn, takes a long time to fall asleep, etc. And then the parent decides, well, I'm going to give them one milligram of melatonin. And if that doesn't really help, if nothing changes, then the parent gets kind of frustrated and says, "Ah,、oh, that didn't work. I'm going to have to try some more." Right? So that's not good. If on the flip side of that, if the parent gives them the melatonin and they happen to have a good night or stretch a good night, then the parent starts believing that, "Oh, there's something wrong with my child. My child needs melatonin," and that starts creating unhealthy beliefs. So that's also not good. So. My take on melatonin is kind of the same take I have on medications and other supplements. That whenever you start experimenting with anything from the outside to help sleep, it is it is a slippery slope.、Mm. Yes, yes. So it's another similar idea that we train our body or our brain, and parents even train their children to believe that you have we have to rely on something else externally. To help us to put us into the sleep state. Yeah, and exactly going back to something you you said earlier here is like 
the whole idea of trying to control sleep is never helpful. And when it comes to kids, it's more like, you know, that the parents are trying to kind of control their kids' sleep in this scenario, which is also not helpful. Right, right. Yeah, I really like the take on you have about melatonin. So what would you suggest to those parents who've been doing this, like relying melatonin and it somewhat works. So both the children and the parents are really happy. They keep on using it, kind of like depend on it in a way for sleep. Yeah, that's a good question. I want to say that um, I'll, when I see um, a kid in my, my practice that perhaps didn't come to me because of insomnia or something else, and the parents mentioned that, well, I, I do give him melatonin, and he sleeps really good, it seems to be working really well, and they've done that for maybe a month or years, then I don't really feel a strong need to, to, to change that or tell them to not give it to them. Uh, sometimes I'm, I might, if I feel that there's really not much of an issue there, I might just uh, not even comment on it. Uh, if, if they have questions about it, I do tell them the following, that um, it is good to start kind of transferring confidence, meaning it is good to know that nothing outside of your own body or a child's own body can really produce sleep. So the first step of kind of getting off the medication or just making sure you don't have more insomnia is to start transferring confidence from the melatonin to the inside, to, to like believing that your child can sleep. And how do you do that? Well, this becomes more of a discussion really with medications, but it applies to melatonin too. The way I talk to adults is I say, well, let's just for argument say that 10 milligrams of melatonin uh, uh, or let's say 10 milligrams of Ambien produces six hours of sleep. And then the, you know, the patient might be like, okay, yeah, I got it. And I'm like, well, then imagine that if you took 10 milligrams of Ambien every six hours, would you then sleep for 24 hours? And then people are like, no, that wouldn't happen. And then I, I educate them. But that's, that's proof that, you know, Ambien does not produce sleep. And you can use the same thing with melatonin and, and, you know, educate parents that it cannot produce sleep. It doesn't produce sleep. So throughout all these years or months, when you've been giving your child melatonin and they've slept well, they slept well because of their own bodies producing sleep, right? They slept well by themselves. And so then I say like, you know, so I think you can continue giving the melatonin. That's fine. As long as you know that the melatonin is not making them sleep. And that starts that process of like transferring confidence from the outside to the inside. Mm, wow, I really like that. That make a lot of sense. As some, I would imagine that parents or adults, they hear that, they, they, they would be like, oh, that totally makes sense, right? The, the medication, these kind of things cannot just put you into sleep when your body is naturally really awake especially during the daytime absolutely i, I do have uh, a, a lot of patients actually are, are quite accepting they're like you know I, I think you're right you know and other people are a little bit skeptical but i i feel like if you um just working with them and kind of reinforcing it and using other examples most people um will will understand this and, and use it to their favor yeah so really transfer this this confidence this belief 
change this belief. I really like that. Talking about that, I know you you did a lot of work to educate the public. Anything about sleep and health. So I know you have YouTube channel, you have podcast. What made you deciding to do those at the first place? Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, well, I want to answer that. There's both a, a completely altruistic、uh, portion of it,、uh, just helping people, and there's also a selfish, <laughs> a selfish ambition and goal. So, what really happened was,、um, so the background was that.、Um, I, I've been practicing as an attending sleep physician for, I believe, it's nine years now. And throughout these nine years, I saw a lot of people with, with insomnia. I saw that cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT or CBTI really works really well. But what kind of frustrated me was that I saw, you know, people,、uh, you know, daily that had trouble sleeping. I gave them the same talk. I told them the same thing that I told the, you know, the patient yesterday, and it's like. And nobody had heard about this. I was like getting frustrated. I, I felt that there was this big discrepancy. I felt like there are millions of people out there with insomnia. There are these effective techniques that nobody has ever heard of, and that kind of frustrated me. So that was always within me. And then in 2017, I was at this sleep meeting in Boston, and I just had this idea, out of the blue idea, that. Like you know, bedtime restriction or sleep restriction, one of the key CBT techniques. I was like, that could be kind of boiled down into an algorithm. It, it's almost like you could create an app, and people could feed in how much they think they need to sleep, what time they get up, and then you could kind of make them do bedtime restriction. So I was really fired up about that, and then I started working on this app in 2018. But parallel to that, I thought. I might as well start talking about this and, and starting educating people for many reasons.、Uh, one is just again to just help people, and I thought I could always get a lot of good feedback that I could use、uh, for kind of my private or my own uh, uh, entrepreneurial pursuits. So that's how it started. So、um, I started a YouTube channel about thirteen,、uh, fourteen months ago now, and、um, so I just started like educating them about everything I know about sleep. And,、uh, and then that became a podcast, etc. But then, yeah, that's that's kind of how it started. Oh, great! Yes, talking about your app. So you've been working on the app in 2018. So I assume that app is out right now. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's called Bedtime, but you know, with a Y, so B E D T Y M E, and、um, it's it's available for、um, for iPhone now.、Uh, hopefully, an Android version will be. Available in a, in a couple of months,、um, and、uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting. I think、uh, sharing a little bit about that could be helpful to to your audience here, Yishan. So, what what I re- what I realized in this journey was my initial idea was actually was actually terrible. I'm laughing here,、uh, and I say that because my initial idea was I thought insomnia was kind of I had a very simplistic idea. I thought that if people just spent less time in bed. Starts to sleep better, then they would do great. But、um, it, it didn't work at all like that. And,、uh, and the reason was because you can't ask people to change their behavior without explaining why. So there was really a big educational component missing there. So、mm-hmm. I kind of reworked the whole thing and I created like a curriculum. So every day on the app there is like、uh, one or two、uh, like modules that you learn、uh, things about insomnia, and then you also do the Is spending less time in bed, like the bedtime restriction, 
Mm. And then you just kind of go forward day to day. So that's how it works. And, and the new version has been out like three, four months and uh, getting a lot of good feedback from clients. So I'm very encouraged. Wow, that's awesome. So actually people can use this app to really learn uh, something you normally teach your patients. And so they can learn why and the, the sleep knowledge behind it. And then if they buy in it, they can go ahead, know how to change their sleep behaviors accordingly to improve their sleep quality. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's in wow. a way kind of like, you know how you, you read a book, uh, mm-hmm. but this is kind of broken up. So it's kind of, you read like a, a chapter a day, plus you also log your sleep. And then also, and this is a very important component, you have a coach within the app that you can ask questions. Oh. And so in, in this case, for now, that's, that's me. So, um, so I answer uh, people's questions, but it's mainly self-driven. Most people actually do really well just following the curriculum here and there. They have a question, but that's how it works. So do you, do you take time to go there and read people's questions and answer their questions in the app? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the selling point with this is that uh, you have a, you know, human being at the other end of the phone that you can ask questions at any time. So um, it's it kind of like a, for me, it pops up like a text message, if you will. Mm. And then I just reply uh, right away. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. I think uh, I will look into that app. I, my patients definitely need something like that. So for for app, I know a lot of times it's great you are there as a coach. Uh, there's a real person, real expert. A lot of time it's hard for people to keep on using an app, especially if they have to, you know, log their sleep every day. It can be boring, and a lot of people may give up or drop out uh, halfway through. Does that happen to your app? Yeah, I think I think uh, it, it. I wouldn't say that um, out of like. You know, if 10 people kind of download it and start working on it, I think maybe half of them actually commit. A lot of people, as you say, and I don't know why. For some people, maybe that they didn't have that much problem. For some people, it's like they kind of still still feel kind of hopeless and this is not going to work. And some people get disengaged and things like that. So, yes, I do do find that uh, definitely not all commit to it. But again, it's kind of like the same thing in clinic. Like those who commit and put in the work do really well. Right, right. There are actually a lot of research out there talking about this, right? For CBTI, this method, it's so effective, but really for people who commit, who really are willing to to put effort and do the work, then the result can be so good. Absolutely. I have exactly the same experience and understanding of literature. How people can like find more about your information, all the amazing work you are doing, uh, both in your clinical work and, you know, for the public. Oh, no. Thanks so much, Ishan. I, and I, again, want to thank you so much for having me. And uh, I think uh, the you can just, uh, for anybody who's interested in learning more about me and what I do, uh, you, you can just really uh, go on YouTube and, and, and Google my name, Daniel Erickson. That's where I, do, that, that's where I really do uh, the most uh, when it comes to kind of public education. And uh, yes, I've, I've written two books. One is called Sleep 101, which is just um, a general, you know, remember I talked about how I was interested in the function of sleep and why we sleep, et cetera. That's why I went into do a yeah. fellowship, uh-huh. you know, answer those questions. 
And then I wrote another book, which if anybody out there is kind of worried about like how sleep, not sleeping enough or insomnia is causing them to have health issues, which there's very little evidence for, um, you might be interested in this book called Why We Don't Sleep, which is on, on Amazon. And I wrote that. It came out a couple of months ago. And it's, it's kind of like a reassuring book for, for anyone talking about how, you know, not getting enough sleep, you know, you feel terrible, but it is not shown at all that it causes, you know, heart disease or diabetes or cancer, something like that. So it's, it's a book for, for people that are looking for some reassurance. Oh, that's great. I think people really need to know that. A lot of people are so worried about what insomnia gonna gonna um, cause, gonna do to their health, to their body. That creates a lot of worries and anxiety. I'm so happy you are writing a book. Actually, you have book published about that. Absolutely. I hope it, I hope it will do a lot of good. Great. So I will put all this information on the show note and to make sure people can link to it and people can can know what, what your books are and your channels, where to find your YouTube channels. So that's great. Well, thank you again for joining me today. Anytime, Yishan. Thank you. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.